All right. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Um, this is Spiritual Speculation, an attempt to create a podcast, creating a dialogue about all sorts of spiritual concepts, uh, religious or whatever it may be, just just the conver- creating a conversation about uh, how to live life uh, or, or, or speculating on how to live life in an efficient way, as well as um, just a fun dialogue about what ethereal things may or may not be out there. Um, hopefully all ideas are, are welcome. This is not meant to be something to believe in, just um, a series of viewpoints and a, a way to articulate certain spiritual concepts that will allow people to um, develop a greater understanding of themselves and their own lives. Uh, today, or at least right now, I intend to focus in on the concept of consciousness, which seems to be the fundamental cornerstone of most New Age spiritual philosophies, is this concept of consciousness um, primarily in the sense of that feeling of I am. Now, consciousness as a term has been used in a multiplicity of ways, right? Like, sometimes it can almost be used uh, synonymous to the concept of intelligence or the concept of, like, a higher moral standpoint, like uh, raising your consciousness, you become more like Christ or like Buddha, just very divine, very kind, very loving. Now, when I'm talking about consciousness, at least right here, right now, I'm speaking to just a completely just the raw sense of being, like I feel that I am, and you listeners feel that you are. Now, many philosophers have kind of pointed to this concept of consciousness as the most real thing, or at least the only absolutely provable thing about life, is that we are. Um, There's, you know, speculation like like matrix theory, we could be tapped into the matrix, you know, for all you know, you're just a, a brain in a vat, and it would it would seem no different. Now, of course, I don't believe this to be true. There is some, I think that the world is somewhat real. But what this points to is that the number one thing we know is that we are. And we also have kind of learned that the way we perceive the world around us is is greatly flawed, to say the very least. Right, so the only thing we know to be absolutely real is our sense of experience. Now, many belief structures and many viewpoints have kind of branched off this idea. Some people do believe we actually live in a simulation. And when I say believe, I don't mean 100% believe they're going to live and die by this, but it's an idea that they kind of hold in the back of their head uh, some, somewhat on the upfront of the subconscious, right? And another way uh, consciousness can be used would, could be in describing what happens in the self, right? So there's many things to you, and this is more of a Jungian philosophy, right? There's many things to you. Um, there's your past, right? All your memories, which may be flawed, may be accurate, right? And then there's what's happening presently in you, right? There's what you're seeing, there's what you're feeling, there's what you're remembering, there's what your thoughts are saying, and that's happening presently. Um, And this is viewed as the conscious mind, what is present in 
the self at the present moment, in the now, right? So within the conscious mind, you can give attention to different things, right? You can give attention to the words coming out of my mouth. And the primary focus of your consciousness is the words coming out of my mouth. But there might be a, a secondary aspect of attention going to your thoughts, your judgments of what I'm saying, right? Positive or negative, whatever they may be. These are all happening consciously. And then there's also some subconscious processes happening. Everything about your life is subconsciously present. Uh, a memory of your childhood, right? Your first time riding a bike. You may be able to recall it. It wasn't at the surface until now. Um, now it came from the unconscious or the subconscious in union terms to the conscious mind. So <laughs> backpedaling a little bit on that, I'll revisit the conscious and subconscious. When it comes to understanding the world around us, trying to understand what it means to be, uh, what it means to be conscious, um, can be of tremendous value. Um, there are some theories that are springing to mind, kind of emerging from my unconscious, right, of uh, do you know that you existed before this present moment, or do you only exist in this present moment with a feeling of your past and the ability to recall the past, right? Did it happen in a sequential order or did you just pop into being right now and you harbor all the memories of the past and time is completely an illusion? It's a fun concept. Uh, we don't know how true it is, right? Another value of our sense of consciousness is it can feel like an anchor. It takes away value from what happens externally. And this is one of the primary discipline of awareness. What you pay it. Things that happen in consciousness, I label pleasant and unpleasant. When those negative emanations or not, them can allow them. Now, when it comes to our thoughts, it's easy to feel as though we are all our thoughts. There is a sense of we are drawing them out, right? And that, that sense of creating every thought that crosses your mind is ever-present throughout day-to-day -day life until we slow down and actually try to stop our thoughts or, or draw attention away from our thoughts. And then we start to develop a relationship with our thoughts as, as if you're judge, judging it, it's almost nuisance You know, we, we, you want to find silence, you want to find stillness in meditation, and the thoughts just keep popping up. Um, they just keep happening. And... Um, they can be crazy, they can be insane, they can be all over the board, and, and they draw you in, right? Then you draw more attention to them, and you go out onto like a thought story. Now, this can get into a conversation about free will, which personally usually shakes up my day so much I don't like to get in on that topic, um, and I think I will be saving it for the most part for another time. But when you experience your thoughts happening to your conscious self, rather than feeling as though you are creating them, you also develop less attachment to them. Now, I have many philosophies on what thought is. And it seems thought pulls from an unconscious dimension or almost an infinite dimension. Like you can imagine infinite 
items and infinite shapes and even things you haven't really seen in this life um, popping into your consciousness. You can kind of pull it in um, when you're actively thinking, right? So when you're, when, you're, when you're looking at the unconscious and pulling in, you know, if I say um, pick an animal, right? You just pick an animal from an infinite, infinite ether, it seems, right? Could be any animal, but you draw it out if you're willing, if you pay attention to the words I'm saying. If you're like, fuck this guy, I'm not going to listen to, <laughs> I'm not going to imagine an animal, it won't pull, right? So some spiritual concepts have kind of looked at the mind as purely a happening, right? You have nothing to do with the content in your mind. It is, there is no free will, right? It is just a happening. All the thoughts in your mind are, are, are processes from your past, as well as ra a culmination of random occurrences and, and almost like an evolution of thought, just as life is a constant happening and a random occurrence of mutated beings that evolve into other creatures. And of course there is an incredible amount of value to this argument. I guess I am getting into the conversation on free will. It does seem that your thoughts are a happening just as your life is happening. You cannot turn off your thoughts or unless you're enlightened or some people have claimed to. But from my experience so far, and almost everyone I've met so far in person, you cannot turn off your thoughts and you cannot turn off the life happening around you. You can't hit pause. You can't stop it. You, you feel as though you have agency in it, but where do those feelings come from? Everything you do is inspired by a thought, um, even if that thought is incredibly random. And the reason I believe it's almost as if we do and we don't have free will. Um, your life, this is how I have kind of come to see it, is your life and your thoughts and all that is a happening. But it, this is more of a biocentric belief, right? But you are, more importantly, the consciousness that is making it happening, happen, right? And that consciousness is making an infinite multiplicity of things happen, and because it's infinite, it's just doing it, you know, it's, it's not very biased, right? It is just becoming things that have patterns and have structures. And from that identification, yeah, the whole universe and all that is, is just a happening. But from the concept of the current self and mind it, it is um, conspiring with, so to speak, from that perspective, um, you like what you create and you are creating it. Um, you're creating it all. Now that's, <laughs> that's getting really, uh, really into some weird ethereal stuff, but who's to say that you're any more the thoughts in your mind, right? You're any more the body you're feeling in consciousness, or you're any more the things you're seeing all around you and the um, and the life story that is happening, right? You know, when we watch a movie, you don't say that the movie is the camera point perspective, you say that the movie is the entire happening of the movie. Even if there's narration, you don't say that the narration is the movie. Even if there is, you know, 
uh, volition or perspective in the movie, like a, almost like a moral of the story. You don't say that is solely the movie. You say all of it is the movie. Um, I would like to argue that all of your life is you, all of it, good, bad, um, and it is all happening within consciousness. And again, consciousness is evolving these stories. And it starts with, it, it often starts with, you know, the, the, the number one thing that is, is being written, right, is thought. There's things that we can consciously control, and that's where this feeling of free will comes in, right? There's things that we can consciously control, like our, sometimes our thoughts. You can say, okay, hmm, what do I want to think about? And then something random appears, but you're, you're the thing searching for something random. You pull something random. I, I, it's not a matter of, do we have free will to me? It is, what is free will and what is agency? Um, I think our understanding of it is, is um, now it is also clear to me that the universe does not exist without consciousness. Um, many scientists will say that consciousness is, is a happening of brain function and a happening of, of the body or a happening of the universe. But the universe, it is pretty clear to me that to some extent the biocentric theory being that consciousness is pretty much the creator of the universe and matter and consciousness cannot exist without one another is um, fairly obvious to me. It seems that, that that is the only tangible thing because, well, at least in the sense of how we value things, right? Like, does a, does a world where, does Lord of the Rings, the movie Lord of the Rings physically exist? You know, does it exist like your life exists? And most of us would argue no, because we don't, we as a conscious being have not perceived it from an internal perspective, right? As well as no one we know has physically experienced the world of Lord of the Rings with real orcs and all that kind of stuff. So the way we value what is real is based upon its ability to be consciously perceived in a real timely sense, right? Like, like in, in a real three-dimensional, we value what is real based on its ability to be consciously perceived. So there can be infinite, and there definitely is, infinite potential conscious experiences that are not happening at least to us. And so we, we call that fantasy, and we call that um, a lot of things, right? Just, <laughs> you know... But we don't value it the same as what is consciously perceived in a, in a three-dimensional, similar to our life sense. So does it exist if it can be thought of or um, if it can, can it be consciously perceived by a consciousness? In a way, yes, it does. And, but is it being consciously perceived? We don't know, right? Um, this reality is being consciously perceived, so we value it, right? We, we, we think it's real. We call it real. Our whole concept of real is based upon the, the conscious perception of this reality or everything that is and has been happening. We even have a large amount of faith in our memories, 
which are in the imagination realm, at least right now. We have a large amount of faith in them because they seem to have been consciously perceived. And we also have a large amount of faith in the future, right? Because there's been a straight timeline and it seems as though the future will eventually be consciously perceived even after we die. We still believe that those this world, if it doesn't actually explode or anything, and even this universe, so all the other planets, whether we're here or not, are real. Let's say all humans do just disappear, and all, all life, all, you know, moving life, or what we call life, or whatever, disappears. We would still say that this universe, which is basically just space dust, stars, galaxies, and all that, is still real, even though there's nothing consciously perceiving it. Um... So we're highly biased towards our own consciousness. We, we, we value it as the substantiation of what is real. But to me, again, this relays back to consciousness is what makes things real. It's what allows things to be in any real sense. Reality is meaningless, truly, without a conscious perceiver. They are... It is, it is the object and, or it's the paint on the paint, you know, it's the canvas for a painting. Without a canvas or a wall or whatever it may be, there is no painting. And without anyone observing it, there's also no painting, but that kind of subtracts from the analogy, so sorry for that. Now, when it comes to understanding our consciousness, it seems like a knife trying to cut itself. There is a way we can focus and draw attention to the fact that there is a consciousness present, that it is what makes us feel like who we are, and everything else is things that emerge within the consciousness. This also leads to beliefs like universal consciousness, the fact that we all have this creating force, um, and we all are created of this reality, unites us all. And again, that seems to me to be very valid. You know, the universe, at least this universe, seemed to have started with a Big Bang and reaction after reaction after reaction after reaction, creating planets, creating stars, creating all these things, and then creating eventually, you know, um, bacteria or single-celled organisms that evolved and, and, and grew and, and, and malformed and, and, and eventually led to where you are now, right? This seemed to happen in this reality. And without any single one of those things happening, you do not exist. And just as you feel like you're your thoughts, you feel like you are what you can remember, but you also were that infant baby that you have no memories that can be pulled into consciousness right now. You also were that, at one point in time, fetus in the stomach of your mother, right? And... So much of your mom and your dad and all the culture that has been made before you also made what you think, feel, and how you navigate. Um, so much of you is created well before you, right? You can, I think this is an Alan Watts quote where he says, you know, you can uh, say, uh, oh, I get angry real easy and it's, it's not my fault because my dad got really angry really really easy. And you, uh, your dad can say, oh, I get really angry really easy, and it's not my fault because my dad got really angry really easy. 
and then his dad can say the same thing, and so on and so forth, all the way till you get to Adam, who says, it's not my fault because Eve told me to eat the apple, and then Eve could say, it's not my fault because the snake told me to uh, eat the apple. And so this aspect of yourself, and of course, I don't fully believe that Adam and Eve happened exactly in that way, right? But, um, but it's a good analogy. All this aspect of yourself carries its way, you know, and, and maybe not as straightforward as that crude example, but carries its way all the way to the beginning of the universe, to the beginning of creation. And so for you to consider yourself more what you can consciously remember right now, rather than all of creation, is an oversimplification of what you are. Um, you cannot be without all of culture and all of humanity and all of evolution before you. Um, everything that crosses your mind has been a process of all that. And then there is this aspect of chaos, this aspect of novelty, this aspect of um, adding on to what happened that emerge from seemingly a chaotic or infinite realm. So what I mean by this is there's two types of random, and uh, even this is a limited force of random. Like, well, there's random, like a random thing in infinity existing. That is the most random there is, right? And then there's a more limited random, like uh, uh, imagine I were to appear in a random place on the Earth, or a random place even in the universe, right? It could be Pluto, it could be Mars, right? That's a limited random because it's limited to the universe, and then you can limit it more towards, like, imagine I were to appear anywhere on Earth, and you can think of France, you can think of Spain, you can think of the middle of the ocean, you can think of the bottom of the ocean, you can think of an infinite amount of places within that random, right? Or if you were to say, imagine I am to step in a random direction. Still infinite, molecule by molecule, right? Like, I, I mean, the exact specifics of where I move, how far I move, but from where I'm at, like limited by, um, you know, my physical ability to move as far as we, we know it, right? I can move in any random direction. So you're drawing from a, a different randomness, right? But either way, no matter what type of random you're looking at, thought kind of functions in a similar way. Like, I am projecting these thoughts that have been built off of millions and millions and millions of uh, minds and thoughts before me. And I've taken some in externally, I've processed them over and over and over again, and then a wheel of randomness, an inspiration towards a new direction with each thought eventually emerges. And so I am then as best as I can, articulating them, putting them out there, putting them into other beings, so their little additives, their little um, pieces of random inspiration can, can tack on. Uh, Terence McKenna once described the universe as a creation of habit and novelty. So habit is like a circle, right? Uh, and it, it, it's, a, it's a life that is perpetuating itself within a system but then there is this almost divine aspect of novelty that just completely comes out of left field, that completely adds to the new. It, it, it is the single-celled organism deciding to be two cells. And it, it is the mutation, of, um, the mutation of an animal 
in, in, you know, to, from, you know, a brown skin to a green skin, which then eventually becomes an evolutionary advantage and it lives much better. It is this movement into a new direction that is, is a chaotic element of novelty that creates progress. And some of them are intelligent or, or I guess, functional in this reality, right? And some of them are un, like non-functional. Now, when it comes to the concept of um, evolution, when it comes to evolution of thought, it can be applied to thought processes, as I just did, but it can also be applied to, um, well, obviously, what we know with, with life, right? And so the theory, as far as I understand it, obviously there's, you know, I'm going to be wrong in a million ways, shapes, or forms, but is that, you know, life started, right? And it would go in a cycle, right? You reproduce and and most of the reproduction is the same, but every once in a while there's a chance taken. There's that aspect of chaos or that aspect of novelty, and it is random. Um, now, I don't think it's infinitely random. I think it may even be semi-intelligently random. Um, but this random mutation happens, and it creates something that either works in this reality or something that doesn't. And so the limitations of this reality, this process of order and chaos into the multiplicity of things we see today. Um, the multiplicity of life, the multiplicity of the universe, right? The multiplicity of thought. Um, now, when I say I don't think it's entirely random, I don't think like a lizard produces inf uh, infants with an infinite, um, infinite option of mutations. No, it seems that the Mutations are semi-intelligent. They at least have something to do with what's going on around them. If it was truly pulling, you know, mutations from an infinite, completely infinite uh, realm, right, there would be no intelligent, there would be, I don't think life could reach the intelligence it has today. This isn't to say that there is a conscious, like a dude in the sky saying, okay, let's try the lizard's green. Let's try the birds with sharper beaks. Let's try. It's, it's more of even how our own intelligent work, intelligence works. Our ideas seem to evolve themselves. If you watch the evolving process of your ideas, you, you see that they, they don't completely come from left field. It's not like you're driving down the street and you all of a sudden think, what if I start hitting the steering wheel with a baseball bat? Uh, maybe I'll drive better, right? No, you, you, your, your evolution of your process of driving, when you consciously do it, usually articulates or has something to do with the concepts of driving. What if I were to, you know, go a little slower or accelerate a little faster or whatever it may be, right? It's not random in the infinite like concepts of what it could be. So when evolution seems to happen, it seems, okay, so there's a lizard, it's living around green leaves, and many of them are dying, so it, you know, what if it reproduces more? And so it tries that out, and it, it, it's working. So reproducing at least allows it to go on. But it's not like, hey, what if, you know, what if I add like a leg right in the middle of my stomach? That would be truly infinite random mutation. No, the mutation is always or most of the time, a, a little bit more intelligent than that, a little bit more guided uh, than just completely, infinitely random. Um, so there is an intelligence seemingly guiding all that is, right? And so, again, this intelligence doesn't necessarily have to be 
Evolution of thought and of life and of all that is seems to be the definition of intelligence rather than um, intelligence, you know, being anything else. It's the scientific method, right? When, when an animal evolves, it's, a, it's guess and check. It's, uh, oh, you know what, let's, you know, we're reproducing, let's pull a new idea from the infinite well that, you know, may seem to be beneficial in this way, and the ideas pulled a greener skin on the lizard, or, um, you know, the ideas pulled and it's tested, and it sees it work. It works, okay, all the other ones die off, this is more suited towards this reality, and, and so on and so forth. The legs shorten if needed to be shortened, you know, it, it, it's tested, and then, of course, many dumb ones happen, so it, it's not, it's not benevolent, or it's not uh, omniscient intelligence guiding, it is, it is a guess and check system that leads towards greater and greater intelligence, you know, like, uh, I don't know if the story of Benjamin Franklin with electricity is true, but you know, oh, there's this magical power in the sky, I wonder if I tie a string to a kite and put it in the sky and I can harness that power, you know, that thought is really, really random, if that really even happened. I don't know if that's true history, but that thought is really, really random. But many other thoughts of like, yeah, can we harness this power? Can we harness this power? How can we do it? Okay, movement is energy. That is energy. You know, it, it, it just keeps expanding. Or let's, that might be a really bad example, but like when you, when you focus your attention on a problem, solutions emerge from the unconscious that revolve towards that problem. It is a form of, and some of them suck, right? And some of them get better and better the more attention is drawn towards the issue. Um, so if you're, if you're looking at your plug and your kid keeps sticking a fork in there and shocking themselves, you're thinking your, b before any, your outlet, your, uh, your electricity outlet, right? Uh, turn off the electricity to that room. He is revolving around that concept, emerge. And yeah, turning off the electricity of the room is a really dumb one. The first one would probably have sufficed and it would have lived and the dumb ones would have stayed in the unconscious realm. You know, they would have just, they wouldn't have emerged, right? Um, so the conscious mind, and so I'm, I'm kind of uh, framing the concept a little bit more specific attention drawn to. This is, again, more of like a union philosophy called you pointed out before. If you were to want to draw a memory from the conscious mind, again, it could be completely random. So to draw a memory, it could be a week ago, it could be a month ago, but it, it, it's limited by your real experience. It could be a part of a movie, but it's limited by what you've seem previously consciously perceived. Um, then I could say, remember a, a memory more specifically of something like your childhood, and it's drawn out of the unconscious. It wasn't present, it had no business being present until you allowed your attention to be pulled towards um, drawing that memory. And again, it, it seems it is you that is, is gaining that attention. Now, if you're highly disagreeable and you um, just like, fuck this guy again, you're, that seems to be something kind of major that way. We don't, we don't know what. So maybe there isn't free will because you were made disagreeable because your parents were and you're just not going to draw that from the unconscious, right? And if you're highly agreeable, right, and you're like, yeah, I'm listening to this because this is stuff that I've been exposed to before and I like this spiritual, you know, crap, right? Like, uh, you're going to play with these ideas a little more. Um, and it does seem like we don't choose what we like. 
And I, I do speculate into like afterlife, like, okay, is aspects of myself completely created by this reality or am I where I'm at in this reality because of a deeper, you know, thought process that's happening to like a spirit or whatever it may be? Am I, you know, in a reality that suits a, a, a higher level um, process happening like okay there's the evolution of me living this life and I'm learning to become more open-minded but also more assertive and I'm learning to become certain things that this reality seems to be guiding me to become and le I'm learning lessons and whatnot and I do wonder and again this is is, is that limited to this reality it starts at birth you're kind of created by genetics and and um, genetics and uh, nature and nurture, right, and your parents' upbringing, right? And then you kind of work with that for the rest of your life, and you become what you become, and then it ends, and story over. Or is there a karmic, you know, karmic placement of this life and this reality that suits a, a grander, infinite life scheme, right? Like a, a completely, you know, you're completely um, uh, completely pertaining to the in, entire life, right? So, like, I, I, I was raised this certain way because my spirit was pulled towards a life that encompassed these kinds of lessons and these kinds of um, experiences, right? Because um, there is so much about this life that is thoroughly pre-built um, that has allowed us to expand our minds to new concepts that is only available to human beings at this time in our timeline. You couldn't, you couldn't imagine these types of concepts in, you know, a couple hundred years ago. It wasn't, it wasn't available to be, to, certain things weren't available to be thought of. Because, um, again, because of that kind of order of thought, our belief structures of what life is, is, is constantly changing. And, I, I, again, kind of talking to the concept of um, you are your whole life story. So as a spirit experiencing a life story, does that life story fit in a, is it a semi-novel expression of an ordered spirit going through infinity? You know, um, it, it, that is plausible, and that gives idea to re, reincarnation, right? Like that, uh, where you, and I don't even know if it would be human reincarnation, but like where you, so you have, hmm, <laughs> you have an order to your life. There's so much about this reality that is poetic, so to speak. There is, there is a um, strong lesson building and imperfection to everything here. There is a strong pull towards good and evil here that doesn't need to be as prevalent as it is. So for you to fall in this place in time, is that a random, to imagine that being a random out of infinite randoms, right? So this is just, okay, you're in this reality where it, it, there's humans, you know, there's gravity, there's... Um, seemingly, you know, this desire to pursue hedonism or like uh, short-term pleasure f uh, for 
with the and a, and a delayed sacrifice, right? Or sacrifice now, long-term pleasure, and you kind of have to figure out which when to be hedonistic and when to be um, conservative and and think long-term. And you gotta figure this out. Those are such r- weird rules for a reality. It, there's it's such a weird um, weird function of being that I don't think it was pulled out of an infinite ether and you just happen to be in this one right now and that's it for you. That, that seems so random, so against, again, all the evolution of what we've seen. We see evolution of life, we see evolution of thought, um, we see evolution of how time unfolds. For, for us to just be thrust into granted a evolved structure, but in just this random spot with random rules and limitations to our being, right? Our imagination can pull in unbelievable things. We've got these smartphones, we've got these cars. These were all created in, imagi- in an imagination realm, but allowed to be brought into being um, as long as they follow the rules of physics and the rules of matter and the rules of everything that's already present, right? But it doesn't have to be that way. Imagination could, in itself, draw things into being. What, who's to say that a reality where matter can be created from nothingness um, by consciousness or by will cannot exist? Um, it cannot exist right here, right now, it seems, um, from, from most people's experience. But why a life of such discipline and lessons and sorrow and journey and why exactly that? Um, it definitely doesn't seem to be, it seems it could be ideal in many ways, but it doesn't seem to be the most ideal way to be, right? You could be in infinite pleasure realm. You could be in infinite pain realm. You could be in a world where, you know, we are a part of nature and you know, life flows more easily. The temptations towards self-destructive behavior don't have to be this prevalent, um, but they are. So that, to me, points to that there were processes, spiritual processes, before our time right now that led us to be where we're at. Um, Alan, again, I'll have to quote Alan Watts. This is one of my absolute favorites, and it, I, I am highly biased towards this perspective, so take it with a grain of salt, but he's, he says, suppose you can, um, you can dream any dream you want with utmost creative control, right? And suppose, for the sake of argument, at any night you can dream up to 70 years of time, right? And naturally, when you begin on your quest of dreams, you would just pursue all your pleasures, right? Um, you, you would uh, just fulfill all your desires. But after many, many nights of, you know, pure 70 years of pure pleasure, you may want an adventure. You say, suppose I dream a dream where everything isn't completely under control. The, the external world seems a touch more threatening and a touch more, well, in that sense, real, right? Um, the only way to do this would to also forget that you're dreaming, correct? And um, so naturally you would start getting adventurous with your dreams and 
in this dream there's, you know, you grow up and there's a dragon and you can slay the dragon and you may have previously wrote in that you won. That would be determinism, right? Or you may write in to the dream, like if you're writing all these dreams, that, you know, it, it can go either way. You know, it, it can kill you. And you keep getting more and more adventurous with your dreams until you end up where you are now. Um, and that, why I love that perspective is because, again, it, it encompasses the idea of evolution. It encompasses the reason, it, it encompasses a reason for struggle and limitation. And, um, and I don't think it's necessarily as straightforward as that. You know, but I do think we, as a conscious creator, we definitely gave ourselves in this reality a large amount of limitation. Um, and again, it doesn't seem to have to be that way. Um, it seems like there's value to that. Think of all, our own stupidity creates so much novelty. I mean, our own limitation of mind creates so many concepts that wouldn't exist if all beings were benevolent and omniscient and uh, and divine and beautiful and only received pleasure and had no you know need for pain you know um, think of how many beautiful art pieces and movies were created off of the sheer concept of war and in order to have war you have to have tremendous misunderstanding and tremendous ignorance and tremendous greed and tremendous lack to lead to that greed Right? And so, yeah, war, from a human perspective, is this terribly ugly thing, but we don't hate it that much. You know, we, we indulge in it via movies, so there is terrible things coming into being. And that can delve into, you know, there's an obsession with murder, and there's an obsession with, with dark aspects of being and light aspects of being, and we seem to be at a position where we may fight with, what's present in our life right now, but we do appreciate it to some extent. Um, there is a draw towards experiencing infinity. And if you were, as I am alluding to in this lecture, again, I try to be, you know, as all over the board as possible, and I'm trying to throw out ideas, but I do believe in them to some amount, right? And uh, also, when I'm describing them, it's easier to just say it as it is. Like, okay, this is the way it is, but we don't know this. We, we don't know that to be true. Um, so again, keep that spe speculative nature. Um, but imagine that it would become empty, right? It's like, uh, oh man, I wish I didn't have to work so then I could just enjoy myself and, and pursue pleasure. And we, we know this because people oh man, I love playing, but when, you know, when I have to move my body, you know, it's hard for me to build up the energy to move my body, you know, if only I could just play virtual reality style, right, and you, and, uh, <laughs> so you make your life easier because you're complaining about something that can be perceived as struggle, right, and you do all virtual reality, and even eating food, it's like, oh, I enjoy, you know, eating food, but sometimes I don't want to chew, you know, and then you create an apparatus that chews for you. And you, sometimes I don't want to swallow. You start pumping it right down your throat until all of a sudden, you know, everything isn't instant, isn't perfect, isn't, um, you know, it just, you're left with nothing. Um, and, and there is no life, right? So life is almost defined by, 
you know, um, struggle. There's, there's seemingly two options for living life. There is complete passive um, stillness, right, where um, it's almost like the concept of Sisyphus. There's complete passive stillness where everything is a happening around you, and there is no, and we do like this. We love movies. We love things that we don't have to participate with. We like, so we're able to even find that in this reality, right? The story of Sisyphus, oh, sorry. Man, my thoughts are all over the place today. Um, but thank you. If, if you're still listening, God bless you, right? <laughs> but um, Sisyphus is the story of, you know, a cursed king, and again, my, my knowledge is I was cursed to roll a stone up a hill only to watch it go back down and then have to roll it up again. And um, some, I think it was Albert Camus, said that basically our life is Sisyphus. We are beings that are not, uh, are, are forced to constantly embark on one function of work after another, after another, after another, until we're exhausted and we die. Um, and he said the best way to live life properly is to imagine Sisyphus happy. Now, um, I hope your life isn't as tough that it is synonymous to rolling a giant boulder up a hill, but it does seem to be true that when we find stillness, we get bored. In fact, it's not that we necessarily roll the rock up the hill because we're forced to, it's because we're compelled to. There's a large amount of joy that is... Uh, brought forth by pursuing something difficult. And the more difficult it is, the more joy we're brought. And we're kind of cursed to not enjoy our stillness. We have the option for it. I mean, it, it, we, we could just sit and be happy and, and you, know, it, even, you know, even minimize our work. But we make life more uh, dutiful and more, we want things to captivate our attention. We want to apply our attention to things. We want to be working on things. We like our stillness. We like to become passive, and we do that, too. We watch movies. We, we lay down. We listen to podcasts where you don't necessarily have to be thinking right now. You can, but you don't have to. So, again, it seems like the options for life, again, like whether it's here or in an ethereal realm, are to experience and allow happening or to feel as though you're an agent in it and, and, and build will and, and, and play with that will. So for me, it's fairly easy to see why Sisyphus could be, well, not in, the, not in the example where he is absolutely forced to do the same thing without, without uh, the option for stillness, but with the option for stillness, it seems like there's only two things that can be done. And so we're given, you know, the option to be still and to chill out it's really hard for us to do. So it makes sense that we're in a reality that requires so much work from us because we currently are drawn towards that. We currently like it in our stage of either human or spiritual evolution, whatever it may be. Um, we currently like to be rolling the stone. And we're also blessed with the fact that there's a multiplicity of types of stones and types of hills and, and things that we can do to move, to move ourselves forward and to move life forward. So it's, it seems fairly ideal, almost. And without, you know, without the limitation of a hill, or without the, is no such thing, create certain concepts that could not exist otherwise. Like a, a deck of cards is paper, right? It's paper with some weird symbols on it. Apply a series of rules of how you um, interact 
with that deck of cards. And many of them you can just, as long as you hold to the rules of that game that you're playing, right, you, you can create now something to do. And we like that. We create games all the time. We do it by creating a series of rules of how we interact with things. And yeah, you could break the rules, but if you constantly break the rules, you're never going to play the game again. So, again, it makes sense that, yeah, like, okay, this life would be awesome if all of a sudden you could just take off the ground and fly, right? And uh, maybe you've lived lives before where you could do that. But if you've done that enough, you're eventually going to want a life that says, a life that says, you know, no matter how much I twist and scream and, and beg and plead and pray, don't take the rules away from me. Don't take my limitations away from me. Play this one out. Um, it, it, it's highly plausible that a spirit that existed infinitely would, would subject itself to this. Um, again, leading me to believe that there is, you know, that there is um, a, a, almost like a, there's a pattern that built us up to where we are now. That there, whether we consciously perceived it or not, it seems that, you know, we talk about evolution of, of um, creatures and, and evolution of thought, but there's also where did the, the, the concepts of the limitations of this reality and the, 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 the um, rules of physics and all this, where did that come from? Did it, did it spring from sheer randomness and sheer nothingness, or was it thought of in the form of evolution semi-intelligently? When I say intelligently, again, we you know, like I said with evolution, it's not a question of whether or not evolution is intelligent design. It is. It, 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 it's designed highly intelligent functional beings. There's an intelligence there, um, you know, even if it is processing from infinity, right, infinite possibilities and testing it out. That's how our own intelligence is built. It's, it's the same. The only question would be whether there's a governing consciousness that observes solely that um, evolution process like the consciousness in our mind observes our thought processes. Now again, looking into ourselves and how our intelligence works and how our own personal evolution happens, and then we can maybe speculate projecting this out onto the world around us. Now, the way we grow is we are a culmination of um, chaos and order, or order and chaos, I would say. Habits, you know, there's so many habits of how we live our life. I'm, you know, I make my coffee in the morning, I drink coffee for a few minutes before I make breakfast, and the, those are habits that, that built themselves, and they can kind of happen when I'm tired, I'm not thinking about them. Driving, you know, you, like right now, my eyes, I don't even recognize that my eyes are looking at the road. I can go anywhere in my mind, I can listen to anything, and, you know, I can feel that a bit of my energy is it's pulled towards this unconscious activity, but it's nothing like when I first consciously created the abilities to drive. Now, you know, some people, when they first learn, they create an unconscious habit that isn't ideal, like, like driving, right? So if I'm driving and I tend to brake really hard, and that's the way I learned to drive. No one really corrected me in my first years of driving, so I'm just always braking really, really hard. Um, Eventually, I can kind of come to the understanding that, hey, maybe this isn't ideal, I've been rear-ended a few times, or maybe just some external other forms of stimulus, like my friends are like, what the hell, dude, you're breaking really, really hard. 
I can become aware of the lack of intelligence or the, the dumb way I'm doing something. I have an unconscious um, way of being, mode of being, that isn't beneficial. Um, and I, I've come to the understanding that it isn't beneficial. But it is much harder to rewrite because it is now an aspect of being. It is, it is now an aspect of who you are to some degree. So the only way to rewrite it is to become more conscious while driving, so to speak. And again, I'm kind, now I'm kind of malforming the way I use consciousness at the beginning, but just bear with me on uh, try to understand what the words are pointing to more so than un like understand the definitions of the words themselves, right? So I, 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 when I say more consciousness, I start paying attention no longer be philosophizing in my head or listening to podcasts. I have to go, okay, you know, there's a thought process involved that is, I am seeing with the conscious mind. It, it, is, it, is, it is being, the thought process pertaining to the driving is being experienced by the conscious mind. Go, okay, someone's breaking ahead of me, you know, okay, so when I put my foot down, don't do it as hard this time. Just, just you know, lay on it and it might be jerking it or it might, and then maybe I'm getting it, right? And then I go to back to the unconscious habit. I'm, uh, in a week, I'm breaking hard again. And so I, I, I stopped paying attention to what I'm doing and paying attention to the present moment. So I, in that circumstance, I failed to rewrite the unconscious process. But if I keep the process just long enough, I pay, well, it starts with paying attention and becoming self-aware of what the problem was, right? And admitting that there's a problem, kind of like the 12 steps, right? And then consciously addressing the problem, which requires attention, which we don't always love giving to things. We like to unconsciously stay within our ordered ways of being. So, you know, so there's this draw towards just letting it be. But in this circumstance, if I truly decide this is what I want to do and I want to start breaking better, I use consciousness to rewrite the unconscious habit. So this is, again, this is kind of like a little bit of novelty. The novelty is brought in the, the mutation of how I'm playing with doing things is brought in by attention, brought in by uh, the conscious mind. And so I, I eventually I do it enough where all of a sudden I'm breaking better and better and better without thinking about it, without having to consciously do it. Now a multitude of other things can occupy my conscious being um, and the, the, the driving seems to happen for itself again, right? And it's better this time. So this is the evolution of the self. And this is where, you know, we, we want, we almost hate paying conscious attention to what the habits of our lives are so much so that we get very offended when someone says, okay, you're breaking too hard. And you, you know, either you have to say to yourself, this person's a dick, they're wrong. Or you could also say to yourself, I appreciate that, but I like breaking this way. And I mean, God bless you if that's the case, right, you know? Or you can, you can be honest with yourself and go, yeah, you know what, this has been more trouble and it is something I need to work on and I did, you know, it was in the past, so the only thing I can do is, is fix it right now and I'm, I'm going to, you know, play, play here. I'm going to apply some of my consciousness here. I'm going to apply some attention here. And we have so much time. We have so much we could be doing with ourselves that having endeavors like that seems beneficial just for the sake of having endeavors like that. Um, there's a, if you know Jordan Peterson, you can tell I'm highly inspired by him. Um, 
he has a quote that says, why bother improving yourself? And he says, well, the best answer for that is so you don't suffer any more stupidly than you have to, right? And so you don't make the people around you suffer any more stupidly than they have to either. You can make life better as best as it can. Potentially, you, if you, and now I'm really, really paraphrasing. I tend to do that with my quotes. But uh, if, you, if you continue to improve yourself, you can, there's a potential that you can wind up in your best possible situation where if you don't do that it, there's a highly probable chance that you'll wind up in your worst possible situation so there is tremendous value towards drawing our attention towards our unconscious processes now that was a very physical one and yeah we we probably don't get as offended when, when applying it to something that is so trivial to aspects of who we are but when we identify very strongly like, uh, I identify very strongly with my ability to speak. And if someone says, hey, Lou, I listened to your podcast, that was god-awful, uh, or whatever it may be, that would hurt because you know, it, it, a large amount of myself went into it, and I, I, I identify with it to a strong degree. Now, if they come in and say, you know what, slow down, try to slow down, so I could understand, you know, it still might hurt a touch, but I may have to, that, that criticism may be beneficial um, and it may not be. Maybe, you know, then I have a hundred comments saying, I love how quick you give these ideas out. You know, and then you got to kind of weigh that out. But, oh, geez, I got off track there. But we identify with so many aspects of ourselves, especially our personality, right? Like the way our personality comes across. Because that's a really hard thing to rewrite. And to some amount, it, some things rewriting might not be fully possible. Um, there is aspects of ourselves that we cannot change, and then we need to accept them, too. So when those are criticized... You know, it, draw to mind, like, can I change this, or do I need to accept it? Is this just me? Do I like this about myself? And, um, but when it's like, when it's a deeply written unconscious process that can change, that is detrimental, detrimental, but you're attached to it, like, let's say you get angry really, really easy. Every time you're in a situation where anger wants to take over, right, you'd have to draw into the conscious mind and, and begin talking yourself down like a child. Um, okay, yeah, the person braked too fast in front of you, you know, they're, it's probably an unconscious habit of theirs. Um, remember what your friend said, you know, just chill out, take a few deep breaths. And the choice to, especially with such a, a powerful thing to draw attention to, like anger, is present. It's very hard to draw your attention to a new process. Um, and so, you know, a large amount of us write in this unconscious you know, habit of getting angry, because usually in childhood it works, right? If you have parents that submit to your anger, you're going to get angry every time things don't go your way. And the more your parents submit to that, the more powerful that anger monster in you becomes. And it gets to the point where, yeah, like anger probably works in your day-to-day -day life from time to time, but eventually, for more often than not, it isolates you and, and it just hurts. It just starts not feeling good. All of a sudden, you're getting angry at, you know, the couch for whatever reason. Or you're getting angry at, you know, th th this, can, <laughs> this happens to people. And, and, and unless you, again, do some, like, self-seeking and come, the idea comes to you, maybe I should work on my anger and maybe I should, you know, okay, start consciously analyzing my anger. Uh, until that happens, it, it, it just can drive your life to hell. Um, there's plenty of good reason for it, right? You can justify it very, very easily. You know, the world does suck. You can be angry at it. Fine. Good. Good for you. Good, good luck with that, right? You, you can change that perspective. And, this, and so 
this implies a, a, a tremendous amount of work and attention that most people don't want to give. And it also requires a tremendous amount of humility that most of us aren't fully ready for all the time. Sometimes we're attached to our previous mode of being. We're not ready to let go of it. And again, you know, it usually hurts you but, and it hurts everyone around you, but it is, it is what's happening, right? But ultimately, I'm a proponent for this form of uh, philosophical meditation, you know. And it, it, it's as simple as consciously turning on the desire to self-search. In, in what ways am I hurting myself? In, in what ways do I have unconscious habits that are hurting me and people around me? And if you truly ask yourself, truly wanting to know, right, it emerges. It, 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 it's, it's a search of the subconscious. And, most, and then the thoughts come up and you go, yeah, yeah, that's been screaming at me forever. But I've, <laughs> I've successfully silenced it that it hasn't crossed the conscious mind in a long, long time. You know, you, you know, you actually do somewhere in you know what you're fucking up on. And, and you, you know, you're, you're forced with... Am I going to draw more attention to this? And it may take forever. You know, it may take a long, long time of conscious effort to change certain things depending on how deeply embedded they are. Um, but this is the concept of conscious being where, you know, spiritual, I'll identify as like I'm super spiritual or whatever. When we're talking about raising your consciousness, or I, I would assume that it is alluding this kind of pertains to the concept of the ego. And I think I'll, we're hitting an hour, which was actually my goal. Um, so I'll, I'll, I think I'll end this podcast with this concept. Um, now, the concept of the ego is elusive. I, I think um, most mainstreamly it's just being um, stubborn, you know, uh, so stubborn and so stuck in your ways and you're very attached to everything about yourself that you're a nightmare to be around. And uh, it could be attached to the way you look, and it could be attached, and it just makes you, and we look at that as the ego. Then the ego can also, in some spiritual circles, extend to the, only the negative attachments. It seems like there's a judgment on, there is a good, you know, um, and there is a bad, and we are by nature more good, but we can be consumed by bad. And the bad aspects of habit, and the bad aspects of self, and the bad indulgences that we've previously written into the subconscious that created the self, right, is the ego. <clears throat> that is a, another concept of the ego. Then there's other spiritual concepts that value only the consciousness. And everything, every aspect of um, yourself is an illusion or is, is, is the ego, right? Your whole life story, good and bad, all of that is the ego and it's transient it will end, it comes and goes like everything else, and what is the only thing that is real is all of consciousness, which may be true, and the other, ones may, are, are, the other one may be true on another level. You know, who's to say that your soul doesn't have a, a form of ego that, that, by ego I mean only extends to some thought beyond pure, like, um, unobjective consciousness, some thought that persists and, and moves and, and goes that is more pure but isn't truly objective, isn't truly all-encompassing, all, all 
it has, has some limitation of thought. I like to, regardless whether you're a consciousness that is temporarily pursuing a life or you're a spirit consciousness that is constantly pursuing a spirit life, understanding you know, that there are egoic aspects of being that are non-functional in this reality regardless of um, its long-term perspective. If you, if you understand that you have a conscious concept of what is good and what is right and what is a better mode of being that you can pursue, and you also have a understanding that there is the opposite, right? A, a poor mode of being, what is mean, what is malevolent, what is self-destructive, what is destructive of everything around you, and you're biased towards the good, you know, you look into yourself and you go, yeah, yeah, no, you know what, I do like the good, the non-suffering, I like that a little more. Um, it would make sense, again, regardless of what the ego is, to pursue or build an ego that embodies the good, right? If, if, if there's one thing that a consciousness is, it, it, it is the space for that novelty, for intelligence to develop, for, and it can develop in any direction, right? Um, sometimes our conscious thoughts are just terrible and we're just not paying good attention, right? And the terrible thoughts just take hold. Um, and they're being written into who we are. And that's happening presently, consciously, and it, it, it's, it seems almost to be chosen since the intention is given to the anger and given to all those habits even. They're consciously happening. So, so when, I, when I like to think of the ego, again, regardless of what it most deeply is, right? It could be both. Could be that your deepest self is a completely objective consciousness, but then there is levels of being, you know, there's levels of the self, that there is a spirit that is journeying and, and maintains some of its ego through death and, and stays semi-separate from other souls even through death and has its own journey outside of, you know, your neighbor or whatever it may be um, as well. I mean, and its truest form, although it exists as an ego to some extent, and by ego I mean just an apparition in consciousness, um, its truest form can be the highest form, but it itself has its nature, right? Like, there could be a purely good force that is wanting to learn and drawing you towards the good, but allowing the game of the bad and allowing a fall. So when I come to viewing the ego, and, and I think uh, some, spiritual, some spiritual concepts that view the ego as all aspects of the self, right? Like, uh, you know, and then they have a tendency to label that bad. And so if you're viewing the ego as all aspects of self, like, you, are, you know, your ego is your car, your ego is your job, your ego is what you think, your ego is what you feel, your ego is how you look, and that is all a distraction from the true nature, you know, I don't think we're... I, there's the Hindu concept of the Maya, that all of life is an illusion and, and a game being played that happens within consciousness. And many spiritual gurus um, believe that the purpose of life is to wake up and know yourself as this conscious entity and, um, and learn that you know, life isn't real, it doesn't matter, and, and this and that, where, again, to me, that... I don't feel like we'd play that game with ourselves. I don't think we'd trap ourselves for no reason whatsoever with no value to it. And the only purpose is to realize that 
it's pointless. I think that there is value to building does good, right? And we know what good is. We can ask ourselves and it comes up. It can be tricky to really know in certain circumstances, but the concept exists. So I think the way I like to view ego is, yeah, you have an ego. And you don't want to be attached to too many aspects of the self because it, det it distracts from the ability to build a better ego. Don't sacrifice who you could be for who you are. And that kind of attachment to ego is negative, regardless of how good you can label a certain aspect of the self, right? You can label an aspect of the self super, super good, and then you might get evidence that it can be better. And if you're really attached to that concept of good in an egoic way, growth ceases. So understanding the ego is something you're building, something you're um, growing with, and, and something you're playing with. Um, can it kind of lighten lighten the load and make life more of that, the, con the Hindu concept of leela, of, of, of a play, of a dance, of a game. Um, so allowing yourself to consciously screw up um, and, and perfect things. And that is intelligence. That is, that is what consciousness is for. And we do this in ourselves. This is, you know, uh, like Jungian concepts of psychology, but it also seems like Nature, at least, does this as well. Life isn't working as a red lizard in a green jungle. It's, you know, something draws conscious attention to, let's play with some mutations. And the mutations aren't as random as, okay, now the lizard's going to, you know, start glowing. And now the lizard's going to develop big peacock feathers. It, you know, it, now the lizard, it, it's not entirely random. There's a, there's a, there seems to be a call to attention to the fact that there's a problem where this lizard can be better and and things are tested right and not all of them are good and sometimes they go so bad that yeah you are a peacock and just to get a mate you've competed with your other partners this is like almost like stereotypical male ego right here you've competed with all your other partners that now you're so flashy that every predator wants to kill you and every predator can easily kill you so there's a very unintelligent evolution that happened there that worked out but it, it still it still is semi unintelligent but it's kind of cool and beautiful in its own right because we're not peacocks I don't think we would like being that colorful and you know also low on the food chain so but um so there is things that are tested that you know can even work out that aren't necessarily best right that seems to be a good note to end on uh, again I hit my goal of an hour this is my first attempt at creating a podcast. And for those of you that have actually uh, <laughs> hang in there, let's see how it evolves. And pursue ways to make that happen. Obviously uh, draw attention to it and see effort to, you know, change or spiritual speculation. Uh, looking to create a dialogue of, you know, spiritual concepts, modes of being, how they can be applied. Um, and also it's just, it's kind of fun. Again, thank you and be well.